to Everybody, this is What the Truck. I'm Dooner here with the dude. It's Michael Vincent. What's up, man? Hey, man. Beautiful day here and uh, fall day here in Chattanooga, right? Yeah, it's nice. Heart I like of it. Freight Alley, brother. Get a little darker earlier. Yeah. Get a little more spooky outside. Yeah. Some Halloween decorations. Smelling like the fall. I want to put on a football helmet and hit somebody. I was just talking to Anthony Smith, our lead economist about football. He's got me all jazzed up, man. I'm ready to hit somebody today. How you doing, man? I'm, hey, I'm doing good. And you know why? So, what the truck? We just launched a newsletter, right? It's been out for two weeks now. If you want to subscribe, either reach out to me, tduner at freightwaves.com, go to freightwaves.com slash newsletter, all those kind of things. You should subscribe. But today's a really important day in the history of our show because we are welcoming Morning Brew CEO Alex Lieberman to the show. These guys have perfected the art of the modern media newsletter. I hope he can give us some really good hot tips. And we have 20 minutes of his time. Really, really looking forward to that one, dude. Yeah, but you are. I mean, I am as well. I mean, it, it, but I mean, really, a tremendous story. These guys. What five years? Five five years. They're going to have what twenty million dollars in revenue this year. There's even been some chatter about maybe an acquisition with Business Insider. We'll see if he wants to talk about that at all. We'll, we'll find out during the show what's going on with them. But whatever they decide to do, it's incredibly exciting. And what I love about the Morning Brew is they took something old and they made it new again. And I, I'm curious to hear the challenges that they face. I can imagine in 2015, like I remember when I tried to launch a podcast in logistics in 2016 and people looked at me like I had six heads. I can imagine being like, we are building a company on the back and the skeleton of a newsletter. People must have been like, huh? Yeah, like, why are you doing it? They started it as undergrads, didn't they not? I, I think they did. They're at University of Michigan, Wolverines, a couple yes. of Wolverines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of Wolverines out there, which is, I mean, it's an awesome story. I wonder what's on. I mean, you can talk about where they're moving next, right? Oh, absolutely. And I know they're, they're, they're starting to do podcasts. They have Business Casual. We're going to talk to Alex about the Founders Journal, which is his show where he talks about founders and uses it a bit for uh, Ask Me Anythings and stuff like that. Super exciting stuff. But we also have, right, we're going to be talking to Tom Wiley again of Level One Technologies. And this conversation may be even more important than the last time. And if you remember that one, he was talking about a potential extinction level event happening to small carriers. Now, I imagine if you heard that maybe a month or two ago, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Freight rates are great. We haven't right. seen the bankruptcies this year. Yeah. Well, well, if you've been paying attention to Freightways, there's been a, a bankruptcy every couple of days so far on Freightways.com. Smaller carriers, like he mentioned. And we look at earnings, we'll also see that, yeah, you know, the, the rates are great, but is the revenue coming in with it? So we'll get to that in the news. We also have Andy Hedrick. He's coming to play in Encore. He's from TK7 Products, talking about sustainability. And he's going to play it forward on a song that you uh, own the copyright to. <laughs> I haven't cut. Well, I did write it, but I, <laughs> so yeah, I can I can claim that. Yeah, hey man, that's how uh, copyright law works. <laughs> that's exactly. I guess that's exactly how it works. But I probably won't be suing anybody. Vittori Lika, she <laughs> says hello. Rhonda says hi, guys. Wayne Craig, he's over at the Mexican border. Aaron Smedic, happy Friday. And Steve Lee says rise and shine. I love this. I love it too. And if you love it, share it with your friends. Share it out on LinkedIn. Bring them in because this is going to be an impactful show. But before we get to it, let's tip the band. Trying to pay partners with brokers and shippers to process carrier payments. With nearly 80,000 carriers paid, Try and Pay provides a simple solution for your carriers to manage their payments in one place. With Try and Pay, carriers can upload and submit paperwork, manage their payments, and connect to brokers directly 
from anywhere. Tell them where to find it. Go, hey, visit TriumphPay, sorry, TriumphPay.com. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Hit TriumphPay.com immediately after the show. Talk to our friends there and uh, learn more. I haven't integrated my soundboard into our new set here. I got to do that soon. So we're going to have to acapella some of the uh, some of the stingers on this one. So okay. let's get into headlines. Boom, bam, boom, boom, boom. Headlines, headlines, headlines. There we go. Here's one OTRI. That is our outbound tender reject index. It's above 25% for six weeks. That's the longest streak ever. And we sound like broken records because last week it was the longest streak ever. And the week before was the <laughs> yeah, longest streak. That's how records go if you keep ever. beating them. Yeah, <laughs> you break the needle, man. Yeah. Scratch it out. Well, this week it's at, it's at an 80. The, uh, the previous week it was at an 85. And it's kind of been facilitating between that 80 and 85, moving back and forth. But for months straight, it's been in that corridor. Tell them why. It, well, I mean, it has because, you know, I mean, spot rates and tenor rejections move in favor of shippers this, this week a little bit, right? Yeah. But, I mean, the, the volumes are still up there. The, the volumes still remain above. 15,000. They're coming down a little bit. There's usually that little bit of a slump right here, but they're so elevated. Uh, and, you know, 25% and uh, above, right? I mean, uh, rejection rates remain, I'm sorry, about a 25%. Uh, and you're looking at uh, the rates at $2.89 a mile. 25% rejection rates is coming down. It's a little softer than it was. Yeah. That's one in four loads, my friend. And we've we've been around we've been around these parts we've been around this block for a bit we've been hanging out in it the outbound tender volume index that's our OTVI has been slowly slipping since Labor Day right this is a big concern but it's and it's not you know why because it still remains at stratospheric levels the index currently sits at a fifteen one five four which is four percent lower than the beginning of the month and nearly two percent off last week not huge numbers today's value is the lowest non-holiday value since mid August though but. Again, still above each of the previous two years to put it all into context for you. Yeah, absolutely. And spot rates have been, you know, you, you talked about OTVI or OTRI, but the spot rates have been oscillating really between $2.90 and $3 a mile since the first week of September. And that's incredibly high. And this week, the truckstock.com spot rates trended uh, in line with tender rejections and total tenders. The rates remain high at $2.89 a mile for dry van and $3.29 a mile for reefer. And that's including fuel, but uh, and fuel is not all that expensive. <laughs> yes, but but is it translating into earnings? Are yeah. carriers making money? Well, JB Hunt misses third quarter expectations and first third and the first third quarter earnings report came out from Martin and that isn't a blockbuster either. Let's find out why. Martin Transport's earnings are taking the role of first out of the box this quarter can always be uh, daring to go first on stage, right? First yeah. up at the mic. Well, the numbers show a quarter with some strength, but that uh, overall didn't signif significantly exceed what happened last year, despite all this talk of how strong the freight market is. You know, like we said, broken record. You hear us talk about it all the time. But does it matter if you can't capture revenue, right? And you can't net that revenue. Well, investors don't like what they heard. Stock market always super important. And at approximately 5.30 Eastern time yesterday, Martin's stock was down 7.88% from Thursday's close to 16.60. The sluggish increase in revenue was driven in part by a drop in the truckload revenue to 93.6 million from 94.9 million intermodal and brokerage was also down yeah and, and jb hunt transport services reported third quarter earnings as well per share of dollar uh, 18 nine cents below analysts expectations the result was headed was ahead of the 2019 third quarter result of a dollar 10 but that period included 30 cents per share in arbitration charges related to the final award to the bnsf uh, if you remember that railway company total revenue of 2.47 
$2.7 billion was 5% higher year over year and ahead of the census estimate calling for the revenue of $2.36 billion, but the revenue increase was largely driven by a 25% increase in brokerage revenue per load. And as you know, as we talked uh, yesterday with, or I talked with, with Kevin Hill yesterday in uh, uh, the midday market update, talking about this, this very thing, doing better than last year's isn't good enough. Yeah. With the expectations that are there right now, you got to blow it out of the park to, to impress anybody right now. And that's the pressure. Now, you do a show called Freight Forecasting on Thursdays, right? Yeah. Let us look inside your crystal ball a little bit. For those of us who hadn't seen into the show, what were you covering yesterday? And what does that say about the freight market as we move into Q4 where everyone's really concerned? Yeah, so uh, we didn't do a freight forecasting yesterday. But going into, going into Q4, we're having that little bit of slump. But it is, I mean, it's normal seasonality that's going on right now. And, and talking with uh, yesterday with uh, Steve Ferreira, right, uh, so uh, obviously knows his ocean and what is going on. And, and talking with others and looking at the different trends that are going on, um, the strength is not going away. We've got a little bit of a lull that is coming down here. But most expectations in my own, well into 2021, we're going to see elevated uh, freight levels and stronger pressures. Uh, supply chain uh, issues notwithstanding, there's tremendous, tremendous uh, pressure and, and uh, demand for capacity. It's going to only increase as we see warehouses start to drain and then try to refill those. Uh, if we get past this election and there's a stimulus, it's just going to put more pressure on that as well. You know, we talked to Tom Wiley last time, president of Level 1 Technologies, and we hope to bring him up here in a little bit. But just to set the table for that, when we spoke to him last time, we were talking about our truckload carriers were saving. Now, I think, of course, they are, right? I mean, the yeah. market's going to dictate yeah. who and who doesn't we kinda, survive. We kind of need them. <laughs> we kind of do need them. I mean, how many small truckload carriers are there? When you talk about extinction-level events, so we don't have a scare factor here. What does that mean? If we were to lose all small truckload carriers, what is that, 90% of the carriers would be gone? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen <laughs> where, they're, where they're completely extinct. I think that's a bit of a, a, an exaggeration myself. Uh, but there's definitely pressure there. And you mentioned that we've seen a lot of, of bankruptcies that have come. But the majority of those have really been niche carriers. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what is it uh, in, in, in Texas? Was it Trinity? Uh, all flat, you know, mostly flatbed tied to the the oil market, et cetera, and very very specialized that was was struggling. We've we've seen the struggles that are in inside there. So um, it's it's interesting to see how this is going to evolve. But all small truckloads carriers going away, the flexibility moves. I, I, we can't afford for that to happen, and I don't think it, I don't think they're all going to go away. Now, a lot of Tom's thesis was that a lot of the financial support. There's been a lot of disruption in the economy. Sure. Uh, there's been pockets of freight moving really well, but not everybody has survived. In fact, I. I've been noticing a lot of flatbed carriers have been having the most trouble when we're sure. talking about some of these Chapter 11 filings. Um, but what he was looking at was the erosion of financial resources available to these carriers. And now we've talked about PPP quite a bit and not just about the, uh, the gold buried in Arkansas Moe's backyard, right? Yeah we, we, yeah, we definitely have. There's some, been some abuses that have happened there. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, some of these, these carriers were struggling before. Uh, obviously, carriers were struggling before, uh, um, you know, the, the resurgence of freight after the uh, initial uh, pandemic uh, hit. Uh, it wasn't that great of, a, of an economic econ uh, econ uh, economy for the freight market. We were expecting it to grow a little bit this year, but not the historic levels we have. But many of those were there. So those underlying issues that were that were causing those some of those companies to not be able to react are still there. I would imagine some of those if, if inefficiencies that yeah. help them go through it. 
And, you know, there's always that danger when you get this influx of cash to help support yourself and to support your business, this kind of false sense of security and not looking at where those errors were or where those leaks might have been. And there's less of a drive to correct those type of things. So as you fall back into normalcy and some of that that supporting cash goes away, uh, you know, the underlying problems are still there. You know, one of the questions we're going to talk to Tom about was under a worst-case scenario. Can you, in your opinion, Michael, because you have plenty of experience, too. You are an expert in this stuff. You have had, what, 30 years' experience now? Yeah, over, yeah. 30 years' experience. So worst-case scenario, were these small carriers to go out of business and brokers to go out of business, what happens to the economy as a whole? I mean, first of all, let's, let's temper this, because it's unrealistic for all of them to go out of business at the same time, right? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. This is kind of like, a, I remember, a, you know, an essay assignment from, <laughs> you know, from, yeah. Yeah. Show, show me something that goes away and, and what happens to the rest of the world. It's difficult to predict, but obviously it would have a tremendous impact. I mean, you start to lose flexibility. Shippers for shippers, they they lose flexibility and will put a tremendous uh, pressure on the supply chain, as we saw. And when you look at different things, these 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 smaller carriers, a lot of them are based on contracted work. Uh, you know, they're not they're not all just playing the the uh, the spot market. A lot of these guys have like one or two different anchor accounts. And there's reasons for that, for the flexibility of that shipper and those rates and be able to survive and help with their budget. These guys go away and some of that flexibility, uh, you know, starts to hurt them and they can't do that. And the overall freight market and logistics scene, if you remember, during the beginning of the, the, the pandemic, uh, and, and coming back from that, as, as freight started to surge, we had a tremendous fracturing. There was this, this, the, the freight markets were fracturing and, and, and trucks were ending up in areas where they were, weren't normally ending up or, or what you call irregular routing. They were outside of their routing guides. They were irregular routing and showing up in areas where there wasn't that return freight. And when that happens, you've got tremendous pressure or you've got a tremendous need for these smaller, nimble carriers. And if they're not there to help that void, it hurts the overall uh, economy. I mean, and, and missing the fact that if you start losing a significant amount of the capacity, um, which, which it still is. I mean, when you look at it that, you know, 90% are small carriers, you're not looking at the number of trucks, you're looking at the number of companies, right? But it's still a significant portion of the capacity. I don't have it off the top of my, my head, but you lose a significant portion of the capacity right now, and you're looking at, uh, you know, not only upward pressure in, in, in pricing uh, and more pressure on a capacity, it starts to deteriorate the, the cycle times and lead times for all the productivity as well. It starts hurting the ability for the economy to grow. Now, when we look to the ocean, right, on the ocean where there's, you know, three networks with, with a limited number of carriers, they can take capacity out of service. They have that luxury. Yeah. If we're all absorbed by the big guys, let's say all the carriers are absorbed by the big guys, are we looking at a much less volatile freight market, but one that is constantly leveraged against the, uh, the shipper? Uh, I guess that's a possibility, but I suppose there's laws against that type of thing, right? <laughs> I mean, if 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 truckload if truck carriers had that ability to kind of uh, come together and start reducing the amount of capacity, I think there's 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 laws against that type of stuff, at least in the United States, <laughs> at least in the United States. But I agree with you. If you if you have more, uh, you, you know, you have more control that is being consolidated and less, I think it becomes. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if it comes more stable or not. I think it would come a little bit more stable. So the, and, and given the length, given the length of the economic shutdown period, and Michael, it seems like it's getting a little bit worse, right? It seems like it's, 
it seems like it's definitely going to get worse with uh you know, Nick Saban's got COVID. You know, the president got COVID. <laughs> yeah. Flu season's coming up. So opening things up is going to be quite a bit of a challenge. And, you know, GATS was canceled. So this is going to extend pretty deep into 2021. Not that, like, GATS is the barometer of everything. But it does indicate, <laughs> especially our industry, who's willing to. I mean, in that world of events, a lot of what, what would probably drive that, even more than ticket sales at this point, because they wouldn't be expecting that, would be sponsorships. So that might mean that sponsors are not willing to put their name on an event that would put someone at risk. But it could also mean that a lot of sponsors have looked to virtual events and things like that and are just diverting money and it you know it takes time to move those ships back around when they've reorganized strategy and they've reorganized spend when you're talking about moving freight though do you think there's a threat of a long-term carrier shortage we always harken back to 2018 right do you think that driver shortage that carrier shortage is on the horizon capacity is very tight right now it, it, it is very tight right now, and there, but there's there's a hopefully uh, I mean, it, when you talk about the shift in in what is going uh, what is going on in the freight markets and the in the, the shift from long haul. Now we saw that kind of reverse during during this uh, past year where long haul is actually and length the average length of haul. If you look in uh, in uh, sonar, we have uh, Aloha, which measures the average length of haul. Uh, on, on different markets and, and so on. It has been increasing over last year, and that's really been a demand because of the cycle times and, and, and the demand of speed to get things to market and avoiding that cross-docking and warehousing and so on and so forth to refill uh, the, the, uh, the inventories in, in specific areas. But when you look at the different changes in, uh, you know, more closer to more urban centers and, and, and population centers and growth in shorter haul, that's more attractive to people yeah. than the long haul. So I think maybe that yeah. helps a little bit. Yeah. And I would just say to, to uh, shippers out there, if you're working with, with a carrier base, now might be the time you want to look into some of their their financials. If they're, if they're, just keep abreast. Keep abreast of some of these earnings reports. You know, keep abreast of freight waves to see if anyone is uh, is going out of business. You might have to move and reposition some freight. But I don't think Michael and I are seeing a catastrophic event. At least at this point, you're going to see carriers slowly trickle off through. There, we're going to see more bankruptcies. We had a nice reprieve from that with the PPP, but I think that is kind of over with. But now let's get to the main event of today's show, okay. and I am super excited to welcome this gentleman on air. It's uh, him and his team. What they've been doing with the Morning Brew is absolutely astonishing. Again, starting as a newsletter. Let's bring up Alex Lieberman. He's CEO and co-founder over at the Morning Brew. Alex, you're looking great, man. What's up? How's it going? <laughs> you know, this has been uh, this has been an exciting week for for the brew. It's been an exciting week for what the truck. We launched our newsletter, and um, one of the things I love about you and your team is how accessible you guys make yourselves. But also that you put a lot of guidelines out there. You're like, hey, look, process is all about execution. So it, we'll we'll tell you the process. We'll tell you the process, especially if it helps the brand voice. Um, let's start there. Talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about that brand voice. How did you make the morning brew? Yeah, well, so just, you know, to give some background into the company, uh, my co-founder Austin and I started the brew when we were students at the University of Michigan. This was in 2015. I was a senior at the time. He was a sophomore. And basically, you know, where we were helping students prepare for job interviews. And we would always ask the question, how do you keep up with the business world? Every student would have the same canned answer. It would be, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal and I read it because I feel like I have to because it's a prerequisite and my parents told me to. And they go on and on. And at some point we were like, this is crazy. These kids are working their asses off to have careers in business, yet they don't have content that story tells the business world in a fun and engaging way. So we started writing a daily business roundup. 
Austin and I didn't have editorial experience, so we just wrote like we spoke. So, like, the the original voice of Morning Brew was simply just a byproduct of not being trained in journalism or writing and just writing in the way that we speak. Over time, you know, to your point, a big, que- or a, a big thing we've had to think about is how do you scale the voice, right? How do you scale the voice not only beyond just one newsletter writer, right, because we have multiple writers of our – like flagship newsletter Morning Brew, but also how do you scale that voice across products, right? We have retail brew, emerging tech brew, marketing brew. We have business casual, our podcast. So now we've not only talked about how do you scale voice across newsletters, but also how do you scale uh, voice across actual like platforms and distribution channels. And so the way we've done it is we've gotten incredibly specific with actually saying like, if our voice was a human being, who would that person be? So much so that like we have documents that like, outline a person. This person is 28 years old, living in New York City. They, you know, they'll go out three days a week, uh, days that they don't go out, they'll watch a TED Talk or, or they'll read through a 10K. This is their go-to cocktail. This is their go-to restaurant spot. And it like sounds absurdly specific, but that's how, like then when we train writers or content creators, they all have the same baseline to work with. That's very interesting, Alex. Mike Vincent here. OH, my friend. Uh that was that was a little bit of a joke for you there, my friend. So I, I understand I understand your thinking there and and trying to be that voice and and writing and and producing this the, the, your content as you would speak. It's got to be more and more difficult over the years. You've been doing this for what five five years uh, yeah. uh, five years plus. How do you keep it fresh? How do you make sure that 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 formula is still working? Well, I think at the end of the day, it's all about just having the right people. Like you know, it's. Uh, we very much are um, are fans of like the Disney model, which is like all that matters is creating great IP. How do you create great IP? You have great people that are content creators that create great IP. So to me, like, how do we evolve the voice to grow with the audience? How do we scale the voice? It all comes down to the right process of training around like the foundational voice, but also understanding like the voice isn't the same everywhere. It's kind of like a person, right? Like if, if the two of you are talking to each other on set after the show, the way that you have a conversation about something will be very different than, you know, say how you talk to your kids or your uh, partner or to your uh, family or college friends. And so I think we think about that in the same way where like morning brew on social morning brew over uh, podcast, morning brew, multimedia morning brew on like website or newsletter are kind of different manifestations of the same person in different contexts in life. And at the end of the day, it comes down to hiring great content creators. So the hardest thing has always been every time we hire a content creator, we are looking for a unicorn and hiring unicorns is really difficult and takes a, a long time. You know, Alex, I really like what you said, and it's something I do when I'm writing show scripts, when I'm writing the newsletter, even when I'm writing emails is or, or tweets. I speak it out loud, and my wife thinks I'm crazy. You know, I'm glad I got earpods, so now she'll just think I'm on the phone instead of uh, <laughs> instead of yelling out loud. But, you know, I'm, I'm really empathetic to turning to what you guys did. You took something old, which is a newsletter, right? And then in 2015, you're like, I'm going to do some market research. I'm going to look at newsletters, and I'm going to, to up the game, and I'm going to change the game. And for me, that's very similar to, like, in 2016, I'm trying to sell a logistics podcast. And everyone was like, you're crazy. No one is going to listen to a logistics podcast. And I said, they will if we make the conversation. We don't have the conversations people are having on stage. We have the conversations they're having on the hallways. We talk the way people talk. Um, tell me about with the, uh, with, with the, how was this, how hard was this to sell though when you were going to people in 2015? And they're like, your business is based on a newsletter? Yeah, I mean, so I think there's a few things. One is like, I think there's, um, 
there's something that we really like about the underdog story about basically one trying to take what is considered an unsexy medium, a medium that people have said is dying for the last decade. And also in a space in which people are like, you guys are out of your mind for taking on industry giants that have built their brands over the last century. Like I, I would always rather be the underdog in a story. Like there's very little upside for someone who isn't the underdog. And so like that was exciting to us. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, when we initially raised money, we went to family and friends. And so these were people that candidly, you know, weren't necessarily investing for like a massive outcome. They were investing, sure, an outcome would be nice, but they were also investing in Austin and I as founders and people. And also it was a lot of individuals that had really successful business careers and candidly were, you know, either bored or just looking to vicariously, uh, kind of relive the entrepreneurial experience through two young entrepreneurs. So, you know, everyone obviously when angel investing is looking to not just like throw their money down the hole, but I do think it is a different dynamic than if we had gone to, you know, raise venture money and the expectation was 10 Xing their money. So, hey, uh, Alex, on Founders Journal, you mentioned that remote work kind of breeds these uh, subcultures as groups are more uh, contained and, and, I guess, isolated a little bit. Is is that a good thing? And and if not, how do you uh, imbue the overarching uh, mainstream culture of morning brew into those kind of niche divisions? Yeah, so I think... I don't want to say it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it adds challenge to the business because I think in any company, even in when you're working in a non-remote environment, there are going to be subcultures to your specific team. Like, you know, when I worked at Morgan Stanley before the brew, I was on like the mortgage trading desk. The mortgage trading desk had a very different uh, culture than like the the municipal bond trading desk or the, uh, you know, the uh, SBG trading desk, whatever it may be. And so I think... My point there is not that like it is unique in the fact that subcultures are just created in a remote environment, but more that one, it is harder to identify because you're not in the office, like basically being able to have visibility into kind of all these subcultures in real time. But also you, you basically, you, ba you basically can't, uh, you know, scale cultures across teams that are creating great subcultures because, um, be, because like, for example, like, let's say there's one team, like the sales team, hypothetically, that does something like a morning, a, a morning stand up every day. And potentially that's a great way to just get people talking and, you know, just see other people's faces. It is way harder in a remote environment to get people to, to know about like the processes built within specific teams that you can then scale to other teams. So I think it just adds challenge more so than it being a easier or harder or better or worse thing than a in real life environment. Why did you, he mentioned the Founders Journal podcast. Let's jump into that for a second. You start out as a newsletter. You're scaling out, adding a couple, adding a couple podcasts. You have Business Casual, as you mentioned. You have the Founders Journal. Why'd you start the, uh, why'd you start the Founders Journal? Yeah. So, you know, the whole concept um, was basically that for the longest time, I've been told that I should be journaling. Like I know so many people who journal and I just have never been able to get momentum behind it. Like I'll, I'll journal for a week and then I just, it won't solidifies a habit and I'll stop doing it. But I think there's an importance to being able to like memorialize experiences. And also it, for, when you journal basically just forces you to have reflective time. And so to me, like this idea of how can I figure out a way to force myself to be self-reflective and also create content that will 
end up being uh, accessible to me decades into the future. So that was one thought. The second thought from more like a market opportunity perspective was there's a shit ton of entrepreneurship uh, content out there. But I'd argue that a lot of it is kind of like uh, the Instagram equivalent of entrepreneurship content. What I mean by that is like, it shows a lot of the great stuff. It shows like a lot of the benefits of entrepreneurship, but it doesn't, it, it kind of like, if you were to track the roller coaster, it only shows like the upward trajectory and the peak of the roller coaster, not the down, the downward movement and the trough. And so my thought was creating authentic voyeuristic entrepreneurship content is way more valuable to people who are entrepreneurs and feel lonely and want to be able to resonate with someone else or someone who's considering starting a company and they have never had the real take on how hard it is. Let's talk about value for a second. I, I remember I was reading a comment. I was reading a comment on LinkedIn and it was someone who totally didn't get what you guys do, what a lot of content marketing is doing better now using that social voice. But one thing that the, the brew does remarkably, Robin Hood Snacks does remarkably is curation right? You save me time in the morning by just having to yeah. look at that. And you save me time because I don't have to waste time clicking a bunch of links. It's all contained within, uh, within one email. Um, what was the thesis behind that? I know that you did some market research, right? You looked at other newsletters, but what made you go, you know, so many newsletters are just link farms. They just want CTC. They just want people to go someplace else. What was the defining moment for, for you when you were like, you know what, let's keep it all contained and that can be the product? Yeah. So I think you know, the, again, when we were starting this thing, we didn't know it was a business. This was like literally just like our side thing that was bringing us like a feeling of fulfillment because we we're being entrepreneurial for the first time. And I think the original thesis was that there breaking news has been commoditized. And when we think about like how our audience values content, the thought was, unless you are like a trader getting the content first really isn't going to do a whole lot for you. Getting the content to be contextualized and understand why you should give a shit about it. Like to us, that's where the actual value was for the reader. And so our view was if we can focus less on just, you know, actually reporting and telling people something first, but telling some people something, maybe not first, but like telling them why they should care and how it's relevant to them, to us, that was incredibly powerful. As time went on, I think the thesis got a little bit more sophisticated, which is th this idea that the internet has totally changed the game for media companies and content creators, right? Like it, that, like in the old days when print was still like, when print was peaking, you as a newspaper creator, when you were peaking as a newspaper creator, not you, like the hypothetical you, is you had value because you owned the actual creation of the content, like literally like the printers on which you, you printed your paper, as well as you own the distribution. You owned the route that the paper boy went down to give you papers. The internet, just, like it crushed all of that. The dynamics changed where the internet basically enabled one audiences to be aggregated by the not thousands, tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands, but by the millions, tens of millions, and billions in a few key places. And tools were created faster than ever to empower content creators to create and distribute content faster and cheaper than ever, right? Like, if you are a great content creator, you can build an audience easier and faster than ever if your content is truly incredible and you understand the pipes of the internet. And so what that basically told us is given there is 
more in the way of tools that empower content creators to create than ever before, it means that the if you had a chart of content creation, it would be up and to the right. There's going to be more content in the world today than there was yesterday, and tomorrow there's going to be far more content than there is today. And our view around that was choice is going to become harder and harder and harder. It's like when you go into a restaurant and a menu is 10 pages long, you suffer from choice paralysis. And so our view was that the value of curation will move up in kind of the same exact uh, trajectory as the increase in the amount of content. And so our view is curation gets more and more important every single day that the internet exists. I find that very, very interesting, Alex. So, you know, there's some that would argue that, you know, building out more original content is is how you scale. Now, you guys done a, a great job of scaling, obviously, over the fi last five years. So what, what you're saying is on the horizon, uh, is it not to build more original content or do you f find that to be something you're, you, you uh, work in tandem with or in conjunction with? I think it's a mix, yeah. I think we are going to have to be content curators and creators. But when I say creators, I think it'll be steeped more in storytelling, analysis, um, and kind of trends rather than in original reporting that requires like a traditional newsroom. Because our view is just like the economics of a traditional newsroom are really difficult. And so what I mean by this is like, I don't know, let, let's use an example of um, – Zoom. Uh, yesterday, like Zoom did uh, a few big announcements. They talked about how they're adding like Zoom events where you're going to be able to actually like host events and monetize events on Zoom. Like we could create a really, imagine Morning Brew creating a really interesting, like almost our generation's version of Harvard Business School case studies around Zoom, where we actually like storytell what is going on with Zoom, Zoom's rise during the world pandemic, and then prompting readers with actual questions to think about what are the implications of this? What are your thoughts on Zoom's business strategy? We are not reporting, oh, Zoom is going into events. We are taking the information that already exists. We're turning it into original content that gets our audience to think deeper. So we are all for original content creation, but a specific type of original content creation. So this is your baby, right? You're five years into it. There was there was the Wall Street Journal article. They're saying you might be worth 75 million. Uh, you guys have said you're you're on pace to do about what 20 million in revenue this year. Is this something yep. that your team is looking to to give up now, or use the revenue to build and do that sort of scale out, or uh, was the Wall Street Journal just spitballing? So you know, all I can say is yes, we're going to do right around $20 million in revenue this year. And our goal is to build a billion dollar company. And the, all, every decision we make is with that in mind, how do we build a billion dollar company with the best people um, working together? That's it. It's like the, the that is the simple perspective <laughs> that drives, drives every decision. You know, because we before we went on air, Michael and I were talking about it. And we're like, man, Morning Brew is just, you're getting so much traction right now, too. You're already growing really well into this year. But I feel like this year, you guys have really, really taken off. Just especially on Twitter, getting visibility on, on LinkedIn, on social. Maybe it's just the bubble that I'm in. But I see your team everywhere. I see the coffee cups everywhere. You're doing such an awesome job. And that would be that would be a tough challenge to be like, because I'm with you. I think that this is something you probably can scale to a billion-dollar company. And that number that's out there that's floating around, I'm I'm like, I think they're worth more. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that perspective. <laughs> I, uh, all I can say is, um, again, like, one, I, I do think there's been a lot more visibility around us this year because we are at this inflection point where I think we did one thing extremely well for four or five years, which was 
literally our superpower was newsletters, right? Write newsletters, grow newsletters, and monetize newsletters. That was it. That was the circle of life. And now we're extending that circle of life to other competencies, meaning web, audio, multimedia. And as we're starting to do that, we are just existing in more places on the internet where people will find out about us. So like to your point around Morning Brew on Twitter, like we are just being intentional of placing more of a bet on social content and on multimedia content than ever before. So like what you can look forward to is not just like Morning Brew newsletter form, but Morning Brew also actually launching multimedia franchises that live everywhere on the internet that you can consume in audio, visual, or social form. Interesting, Alex. And, and so with the, with the uh, you know, the, the consolidation of newsletter and, and media brands, uh, do you expect this to continue? And, and if you do, uh, if you were starting today, would you, would you build it differently? Yeah, so I think it is, it's a really tough question because all that's changed is like the internet's just more crowded today than it was four years ago. So I wouldn't say there's like any medium that has gotten easier to create content around. So I would honestly say if I was creating uh, some content today, like, let you know, let's just say I was starting, uh, I was you guys and I was starting a trucking newsletter. I would, I would start with the newsletter first over everything else. Because to me, one of the most valuable pieces of information you can have on a human being on the internet is an email address, especially in the world in which the third party cookie is dying. And there are only so many places on the internet that you can build an opt-in relationship where someone has given you the permission to ping them daily with information because they want it. And it's tough to think of where are other places on the internet you can do that. Like social, you can't do that. They'll only see it sometimes. Podcasting, yes, you can, but also the met the collection of information from a publisher's perspective on podcasting, really difficult. So I think this opt-in relationship relationship is not only really intimate, um, but it also allows you to just know more about your audience. So Alex, we have kind of gone, we've kind of gone a reverse morning brew here at our startup Freight Waves. We've been around for three or four years, raised over, you know, around a, was a hundred million in, in venture. We've built uh, the largest data warehouse in Freight. Oh yeah. For, wow. Yes. A shit ton of money. Yeah, well, well, but you guys are probably, you guys are earning a lot too. So you know, but uh, you know, happy to your success, happy to ours. We kind of started backwards. We started with the data. We built the editorial site. We made it the biggest editorial site in freight. We built the largest freight podcasting network in, in freight and built that. And now we built this TV station. And each thing we try to build kind of gets a little bit more expensive. So I'm excited to jump into the newsletters with the what the truck one because that's that's low lift. What advice would you have for for us who are just starting to write and get um get a more socially voiced, more personified newsletter? out there? Yeah. I mean, what I would just say is the number one thing is think of email as a product. Don't think about it as a con, unless this is the goal, unless the goal is for it to be just literally like a content marketing channel for your website and for all of your other stuff. I would say, uh, that is why we had an advantage in creating morning brew back in the day, because no one thought about email as a destination. No one thought about email as a product. And all I can tell you is that if you focus on email as a product, you make it like you literally just think about if freight waves didn't exist and you were starting with a newsletter today, how would you build it? Like that's the mentality I would have because it would make you really product centric and be on being incredibly good at creating, growing and monetizing the best trucking newsletter in the world. And my view is that like, it's now been proven you can make tens of millions of dollars on a single newsletter product. And especially for the space you're in, you guys are, you know, a B2B media company, the CPMs you can get 
on that newsletter are like absurd. And so I would just say that you should be thinking about it as email as a destination. And as you are thinking about the content you create, you should be thinking about it as if email is your only product in the business. It is the only thing. Beautiful. That's beautiful advice. Well, Alex, you've been very generous with your time today. Uh, For those who want to go listen to the Founders Journal, they want to subscribe to the Morning Brew, and they want to follow you on Twitter, where should we send them to? Yeah, so uh, the Founders Journal, you just look it up on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can find the show. It's uh, like a little notebook that says the Founders Journal. Um, On uh, Twitter, I am Business Barista. So you can follow me on Twitter at Business Barista. And then Morning Brew, you want to sign up, you just go to morningbrew.com. That's it. Beautiful. You guys keep it easy. You're doing an amazing job. And um, congratulations to your success, Alex. Thank you. Really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take it Thanks, easy. Thanks, Alex. Wow. Fascinating young guys. They're five years yeah. out of college, right? Yeah. Five years out. Well, they've been in that for five years. He did mention he was on, uh, you know, he was on, he was on the financial side briefly. Yeah, he yeah. did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Austin it's interesting. I mean, it was just a, like he, he said, it was really just a, an idea that they, they started talking to the other students. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it really wasn't an intention to build it into a company. And he just, you know, something he loves and grew it. And that was it, a great, was tremendous advice. That was a great point too, about the destination email versus the temptation to constantly send someone to another product that you have. And him saying that, well, our biggest advantage of having no other products was that we only had to focus on that. And I think that's why he gave the advice that, you know, the easiest thing to start out with is that that newsletter, because the cost of scale does become so huge. Yeah, it, it does. And, you know, the other advice was, you know, really uh, stay focused. View the email as the product and, and know that you can build a sustainable, very good business out of just that one product yeah. and stay that focused because you start watering yourself down. Well, Andy Hendrick is going to come on. He's going to, he's from TK7 Products. He's going to play it forward with us. Let's, let's bring him up right now. Andy, thanks for joining us on the show. Happy Friday. Hey, were you able to catch any of that? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Oh, by the way, hold on. I got to do one thing real quick. Hold on, hold on, I gotta do one thing really quick here. I gotta tip the band. You might be stuck working remotely. Looks like you are, you're at your house, Andy. But as the world goes digital, it's time for every aspect of your business to catch up, even your international freight. Freightos.com propels business growth with smoother shipping solutions, allowing you to compare, book, and manage your shipments all in one place. Plus, with reviews by fellow importers and transparent performance tracking, you can ship with confidence. As a What the Truck listener, you can get a $100 reward for your first shipment of $1,000 or more. Just go to Freightos.com slash What the Truck and use the code FreightPodcast. That is F-R, the number eight podcast, to sign up for that $100 off the first shipment. Now, Andy, you are back with us to do an encore of Play It Forward, and this is a very unique one because I understand a very special person in this room wrote that track. That is correct, Michael. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, when when he when he was uh, agreed to come on the show, we kind of uh, been t- we've been talking since the first time we met. Very, very, uh, 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 very interested in what he's doing there at TK Seven and other things that Andy is doing. Obviously, uh, outside of that and an altruistic nature. But uh, yeah, we started collaborating a little bit, and I, ro- I was writing a song, kind of toying, toying around with it, and uh, uh, Andy asked to uh, to have it and and do some work with it. So that's kind of the story behind that. Well, we have it on video, right? You sent us a recording of it in the back. Can you play the video of Andy Hedrick and Michael Vincent's tune? Hey, guys. I hope everyone's great out there. I'm super excited to be recording this collaboration with Mr. Michael Vincent, the dude from right here on Freight Waves, a song that he wrote 
called This, That, and the Other. And I love the idea behind the song. I'm going to quote him. It's about people always searching for more in this world, causing themselves unrest, when what they have in their soul is just fine and will bring them peace, love, and happiness. So I love the theme of the song. Um, it's got a punk rock vibe to it. I'm going to do my best to keep up, and I hope you guys love it. There you go, you. baby. There's yeah. a little cowbell for you. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, Mr. Hedrick. Good stuff, man. So why'd you pick? Why? I know that you, like, when, when this whole thing started, this Play It Forward thing, it kind of inspired you and Michael to maybe collaborate. Tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, uh, so after you guys had me on, thanks again for having me on, uh, I was talking back and forth with Michael about music, and I heard him talking about his guitar playing, and I said, you know, it would be cool if you and I sometime maybe did something together and, you know, one thing led to another. He, oh, I didn't mean uh, to laugh, but Matt Hedding, Matt Hedding just wrote. <laughs> Matt Hedding, so funny, dude? Matt Hedding <laughs> just said Van Halen meets Linus and Lucy. He said, what's that? Matt Hedding says uh, Van Halen meets Linus and Lucy. That's what he called it. <laughs> Sorry. I, could, I couldn't keep, I had a corpse right there. I Schroeder. couldn't keep that in. I think you meant Schroeder, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Schroeder play the piano. <laughs> I think he's yeah, right. Yeah, so, Matt, get your Peanuts characters right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, Andy. Yeah, I grew up watching the Peanuts. Great show. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> so, Andy, you, what's up with uh, TK7 products, man? Tell us what you've been doing. I know that you were big on sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we're really excited to be releasing version 2.0 of our MPG rocket system. And what we're doing out there is we're increasing miles per gallon by 15% on average and reducing the emissions coming off the combustion chamber by 40 to 70%. So that's reducing repairs. We're removing uh, the carbon from the engines, uh, reducing death, regen cycles, repairs, downtime. Um, so we're super excited. And before I forget, I want to thank my colleagues. I don't do it enough, but we've just got an awesome team of people and I'm just so thankful for them. And I'm also thankful to you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, we were just talking to the Morning Brew. We were just talking to another founder. You are the co-founder of TK7 Products. He told us a little bit about his brand journey, why he started the company. What made you decide to start TK7 Products and take on something like sustainability? Boy, it's an interesting story. So I was actually doing a fundraiser to build a co-op in Uganda, and I met a philanthropist who had invented a product for the Israeli military. So I sat down with him. He told me what he had, and it helps the drones fly farther, have less repairs, less breakdowns, 
uh, run cooler. And I said, boy, should I take that to truck fleets? Because I've worked in trucking for about 20 years in the technology world in trucking. And we came to an agreement and uh, started uh, working in, the, in North America. And actually, we're working all over the world at this point. That is tremendous stuff, Andy. So uh, if we could, uh, can we hear a little bit about uh, some of the uh, uh, altruistic or philanthropic uh, uh, ventures that you have going on? And, and specifically, I guess you're working with Abraham C. Saif uh, over there in Africa for uh, schools, et cetera. Yeah, so that's another thing we're involved with. Uh, Abraham uh, Siapa started a private school in Sierra Leone, Freetown, Sierra Leone, um, and provides meals, backpacks, school supplies for kids really that otherwise wouldn't get to go to school. And so we've worked together on different projects the last four years or so. And he told me at the beginning of COVID, there were port closures in Sierra Leone. It's a port city for Italians. So shortages in food, shortages in work, um, and people were literally going without meals. So we are doing a campaign right now with Abraham for Sierra Leone Food Relief, and it's on my LinkedIn page. And then we also do some work with All Truckers Together Against Child Abuse, H-E-T-A-C-A.org. I really recommend you guys go check them out as well. And uh, two great organizations, and uh, we're really, really happy to be involved. Well, Andy, where to? Where do we send our listeners to go and learn more about TK Seven? I know you've, like, you mentioned that philanthropic thing. You mentioned the Sierra Leone. You're always, you always have something in the fire. So, where do we send people to learn more? Is your LinkedIn page the best, the best place to go? The, the, your website? Uh, LinkedIn is great. Our website is also uh, tk7products.com. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, TK Seven Products, and then we have a Facebook page for TK Seven Products. So, there we are. Andy, a little, a little cowbell for you. Thank you for coming on doing Encore. We'll have you on uh, another time where you don't have to play an instrument. We, we can talk a little bit more about what, uh, what your business is doing. But we, we really appreciate having you on a Friday and, and giving us some tunes. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take Thank it easy. Thank you, Andy. All right, man. Now time for a little uh, good news, bad news. We oh, wrap okay. out let's this Friday edition of What the Truck, right? Right on. Let's do it, man. It was Prime Day this week. Did you buy anything? Uh, I did not. I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't. You know what? I find it's easier for me. It's easier to shop on Amazon when it's not Prime Day. Yes. Because then absolutely. when I go, I just get like lost in the sea of. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of Amazon products. I already have some of them. You know, I have yeah. an Alexa. I have that kind of thing. I don't need a Fire Pad. I don't need that kind of stuff. And then uh, I'm just more like when I go to a store, I kind of treat online shopping the same way I treat shopping at like Target or Walmart. Like when I go in there, I make a beeline for what I need. Yeah, and, and you know, my and I, I tend to create gifts more than I do just buying certain things. So it's a little oh. bit of a different process oh, for me. What, what do you, like you knit? You make caps and stuff? Yeah, I, I, crochet, I crochet. Are you really? Wow. <laughs> no. <laughs> a little basket weaving over here. Well, so we're talking about e-commerce. It's been the big story. I mean, e-commerce kind of been the story of COVID. It's, it's kept the economy afloat. We just had our last mile logistics, uh, our virtual event a week or two ago. It's, it's hard to remember exactly when that, I think it was last week, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Go, look on Freightcast. You can, we're, we're uploading all of the audio versions of that to there. I have a couple left to upload. I drip them out once a day, but Freightcast, so you'll find every, Freightcast, Freightcast, you'll find every single Freightwaves podcast. That came out of my, uh, my mouth about as well as your Ohio State joke. 
did to Alex. That <laughs> crashed and right. Well, here's click. the good news. Here's the good news. <laughs> I thought he was going to hang up on us. <laughs> I know. I thought I was like, oh, <laughs> click. Oh, man. Maybe the rivalry runs that deep. <laughs> well, here, here's the good news. With free shipping, right? Free shipping trending towards an industry standard and the onslaught of e-commerce born from COVID, and uh, which has accelerated massively since March, right? I mean, e-commerce sure. was already big, but consumers becoming more lenient about delivery times. So a big issue beforehand, right, was, uh, you know, Amazon, Amazonification, where everyone's like, everything's got to be here in two days or I'm, I'm pissed off, right? Yeah, Well, absolutely. ShipStation, they did a survey, right? And respondents have made this clear. 97% said that shipping costs is a primary factor. So consumers still want the free shipping, right? And 92% said shipping speed is also a primary factor. This is interesting, though, because if you keep looking at his quote here, he says still expectations on expedited shipping have relented a bit over this year, courtesy of the pandemic, right? Uh, people are now willing to wait. Uh, uh, consumers expected to receive their online purchases within five days in 2019. Now they are open to receiving them in eight days, which is good news, because as we reported on here, you may be waiting that long around the Christmas holiday season. Here's the bad news, though. Their advice to retailers, he says, this is a quote from him, he says, our advice to retailers this holiday season would be to continue offering free shipping to uphold an industry standard, but here's what to watch out for. But with premium delivery, so people want it quicker, they want that yeah. one, two day, be warned that customer expectations will be high. If you offer premium options, make sure you can deliver on your fulfillment promise or risk losing your customers to good. So if you're going to charge that expedited shipping, and be mindful of this, it might be hard to actually meet those, those obligations. You charge a customer seven, eight, ten dollars whatever it yeah. costs. They are going to be really upset if it does not come within that window. So just be mindful. They really are. And, you know, it, we've seen uh, Amazon and Walmart both take steps to ensure that those premiums are, are done, right? With yeah. the new penalties for uh, expected delivery date and Amazon obviously doing some changes with some of their vendors that were not making those uh, those commitment levels, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, would you would you drop if you didn't get stuff in two days that it only came in four? Would you quit that band? If I paid for it? Yeah. I would never pay for shipping from that company again. Ah, there you go, man. Spurned once. Hey, I got some good news. According to CNBC, Amazon said the small and mid-sized businesses that sell on its market marketplace made more than $3.5 billion during wow. Prime Day, which is 60% increase from last year's sales. 60% increase, my friend. Wow. So Prime Day in October really worked well. If you remember last week on the show, we were like, is this going to usher in the 75-day peak season, Right. And it was sort of intrinsic on, well, it depends on how Prime Day does and who follows the leader. Well, Prime Day did pretty damn good in October. I'd say a 60% increase is pretty <laughs> darn pretty solid. Good. Which means Walmart's going to be doing it. Target's going to be doing it. Best Buy's going to be doing it. Even if they didn't plan on doing it, now maybe planning on doing it in October. Yeah. And why not? I, I, I don't know. Maybe Kevin Hill will get his wish where everything is closed on Thanksgiving. Which so how can there be bad news? Uh, well, the bad news is really for the retails. Uh, retailers aren't banking on all of it. Uh, aren't banking on all of that income because ad spending costs per click can add up. And, and so, Jessica Eisman, online retail manager at Personal Grooming Tools manufacturer Tweezerman, told Digital Commerce 360 that the biggest downsides side is the increase in ad spend if you do not plan properly. She says cost per click click typically increases due to the higher traffic. So if you haven't planned for this type of increase, it can be bad for you. So um, there's your potential downside. Wow. So have you advertised? Uh, I mean, you're not a retailer, so you no. probably haven't used Amazon's <laughs> advertising platform. But I think it works similar to search engines where you pay through through click. -through. You, you pay for a percentage. You pay for where you are listed within, a, within the search function. Yeah. It's, it's basically like using Google AdWords, but it's for Amazon. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and then the more volume, the more that clicks, that can be the very more costly. more clicks, that cost goes up and goes up and goes up. So you're hoping that those clicks convert into sales, right? Because yeah. if they don't. I remember when I first started as a marketing manager, right? I, yeah. I set up the, our Google AdWords account and I didn't set a limit. On the on the clicks and that 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 first bill was really expensive. Whoops. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta be careful. Sometimes when I see my competitors' tweets, uh, I, I like to click on them just to charge them money for the um for the click the promoted <laughs> so, ones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, uh, sites with acronyms in their name. Um, here's all right. Here's some good news. Coca Cola and we this is another report. Coca Cola is tightening the belt on its product lines, like many other food shippers have during COVID. Mondelez, the maker of Oreos, is one that we talked about. Yes. How uh, you know they're like you know what maybe we don't need all this stuff on the shelf. Brad Spickert, he's the senior vice president of innovation and commercialization. He has an interesting quote here. He said, this is not bottom line efficiency play. It's a top line growth play. So they feel not only is this going to make our supply chain more efficient, but all of this extra, you know, uh, niche flavors are kind of stealing away from our core product to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. We've seen this trend to try and, uh, you know, bring down those skews and, and concentrate on market penetration with those and, and, and up, your, up your, your profits, your, well, here, your, your, your OR. Here's the bad news, though. After nearly... <laughs> Nearly 60 years. Well, 60. Is that 60? I don't know. This came out in the 70s. I'm going with 50 years. Not nearly 60. After nearly 50 years, Coca-Cola is discontinuing its first ever diet soda tab. I don't know if you guys have ever had a tab. It's been a while. Tab reminds me of like being in Staten Island when I was like three years old, you know, <laughs> with right? the relatives getting burnt by menthol cigarettes by accident, people <laughs> drinking tabs. You know, there's nothing You're more late 70s, early, nothing more late 70s or early 80s than a can of tab. Because where <laughs> else can you get carbon? sweet and low with a little caramel color in it. Well, not from Coca-Cola anymore because Tab is gone. Tab's dead. R.I.P. Tab. Play the Bugles. <laughs> right? Don't play Tab. Play Tabs. It's done. It's gone. Are you, are you a big Tab fan? Were you? You know what? Tab is one of those curiosities and reminds me of my, my, my childhood a little bit, which was good. I wasn't always burnt by menthol. So, you know, it's when you're just running as a kid. People, yeah. you know, it, was, it was a different time. It's a different era, people. Don't freak out. Um, but <laughs> the, the, uh, the tab, whenever I see in groceries, it's so rare, man. It's like finding like a rare Pokemon out in the wild or something. Yeah. You, once in a while, if I see a six-pack of tab, I'll have to grab it. In fact, Business Insider called me today because I tweeted about uh, my, my sadness over tab going away to, yeah. to talk with. To so, talk hey, we with. found that one tab fan. Yeah. <laughs> tab got, I know they did. They're probably so excited. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> somebody out there is upset about yeah. this. Shout out to Rachel the B, and the BI you know, team. I associate it with, with disco music. And as you can tell from the play it forward, I'm not a big disco fan. Well, if you want, if you want our brand to disco, look up Freightway. Look, I mean, look up what the truck on your favorite podcast player of choice, or if you want every single Freightways podcast, look up Freightcast. It's free. Look it up. Uh, look it up in whatever you use. You can also download Freightways TV app. You can watch all of this stuff. See us live and in living color on your big screen TV. I don't care if you use an Apple TV. I don't care if you use a Roku, and I don't care if you use an Adams on Fire because that's not what I'm here to make you do. I just care if you watch. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That is D double O N E R. Or on LinkedIn, you can find him at Vincent the Dude. Or look him up michael vincent on the linkedin keep the right conversation on. going with us a little shout out man excited about morning brew i'm excited to go listen to that interview back i do that after the show sometimes because we're yeah, in I the moment so there was a lot there and i was uh, thinking about my next question that i wanted to ask him while trying to pay i'm going to go back and listen to that a lot of tremendous a lot yeah. of tremendous advice we'll be uh, we'll be back on monday at 12 p.m eastern time same truck time same truck channel be here with us you know what we say give me your catchphrase michael vincent peace and love everyone have a great weekend oh!